The Vampire by Jean Neruda. The excursion steamer brought us from Constantinople to the shore of the island of Prinkipo. We disembarked. The number of passengers is not large. It was one Polish family, a father, a mother, a daughter, and her bridegroom. And then we too. Oh yes, I must not forget that we were already on the wooden bridge, which crosses the Golden Horn to Constantinople. A Greek, a rather youthful man, joined us. He was probably an artist, judging by the portfolio he carried under his arm. Long black locks floated to his shoulders. His face was pale. His black eyes were deeply set in their sockets. From the first moment he interested me, especially for his obliquiness and for his knowledge of the local conditions, but he talked too much, and then turned away. I turned away from him. All the more agreeable was the Polish family. The father, the mother, were good-natured, fine people, a lover, a handsome young fellow, a director with fine manners. They came to Prim Kippo to spend the summer months for the sake of the daughter, who was slightly ailing. The beautiful pale girl was either just recovering from a severe illness, or else a serious disease was just fastening its hold upon her. She leaned upon her lover when she walked, and very often sat down to rest, while a frequent dry little cough interrupted her whispers. Whenever she coughed, Redscoot would considerably pause in their walk. He always cast upon her a glance of sympathetic suffering. She would not look. She would look back at him as if to say, "This is nothing. I am happy." He believed in health and happiness. On the recommendation of the Greek, who departed from us immediately, at the pier, the family secured quarters in a hotel on the hill. The hotel keeper was a Frenchman. His entire building was equipped comfortably and artistically, according to the French style. We breakfasted together, and when the noon, 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 eat, had abated somewhat all, we all betook ourselves to the heights where the grove of Siberian snow pines. We could refresh ourselves of the view. Hardly had we found a suitable spot and settled ourselves, the Greek reappeared again. He greeted us lightly, looked about and seated himself only a few steps from us. He opened his portfolio and began to sketch. I think he purposely sits with his back to the rock so that we can't look at his sketch, I said. We don't have to, said the young Pole. We have enough before us to look at. After a while, he added, he seems to me sketching us in, in as a sort of background. Well, let him. We truly did have enough to gaze at. There's not a more beautiful or more happy corner in the world than that of the very Pinkipo, the political martyr Irene, complimentary of Charles the Great, 
lived there for a month as an exile. If I could live a month in my life there, I would be happy. The memory of it for the rest of my days, I should never forget. Even the one day he spent a pim in Kipo. The air was clear as a diamond, so soft, so caressing, that one soul swung out about it into the distance, and the right beyond the sea projected, projected the bound as cystic summits. To the left of the distance, purple the steep coasts of Europe, leaving Chokai, one of the nine islands of Prince Acapulco, rose from its cypress forests into the peaceful heights like a soulful dream, crowned by a great structure, an asylum for those whose minds are sick. The sea of Moria was not slight, was but slightly ruffled, and played in all colours like a sparkling opal. In the distance the sea was as white as milk, and rosy between the two islands, a glowing orange, above us is beautiful greenish blue, like a transparent sapphire. It was resplendent in its own beauty. Nowhere were there any large ships. Only two small craft flying the English flag sped along the shore. One was a steamboat as big steamboat as big as a watchman's booth. The second had about twelve oarsmen, and then, and when their oars rose simultaneously, molten silver dripped from them. Trustful dolphins darted in and out among them, and dove with long, arcing flights along the surface of the water. Through the blue heavens now, and in the calm ankles, winged away, measuring the space between two continents. The tire slope below us was covered with blue blossoming roses, whose fragrance filled the air. From the coffee house near the sea, music was carried up to us through the clear air, hushed somewhat by the distance. The effect was enchanting. We all sat silent and steeped our souls completely in a picture paradise. A young Polish girl lay on the grass with her head supported on the bosom of her lover. A pale oval of her oval of her delicate face was slightly tinged with soft colour, and from her blue eyes tears suddenly gushed forth. A lover understood, bent down and kissed tear after tear. A mother also was moved to tears, and I, even I, felt a strange twinge. Here, mind and body, both must get well, whispered the girl. How happy a land this is. God knows I haven't any enemies, but if I had, I would forgive them them here, said the father in trembling voice. And again we became silent. We were all in such a wonderful mood. So unspeakably sweet it was, it all was. Each felt 
for himself a whole world of happiness. Each would have shared his happiness with the whole world. All felt the same. And as though no one disturbed another, we scarcely even noticed the Greek. After an hour or so, had arisen, folded his portfolio with a slight nod, and taken his departure. We remained. Finally, after several hours, when the distance was becoming overspread with a darker violet, so magically beautiful in the south, a mother reminded us it was time to depart. We rose and walked down towards the hotel with the easy, elastic steps that characterise carefree children. We sat down in the hotel under the handsome veranda. Hardly had we been seated when we heard below the sounds of calling and oaths. Our Greek was wrangling the ho- hotel keeper for the entertainment of, of it we listened. The embarrassment did not last long. If I don't didn't have any I don't have any guests, cried the hotel keeper, and ascended the steps towards us. I beg you tell me, sir, asked the young Pole, the approaching hotel keeper. Who is that gentleman? What is the name? Huh? Who knows what the fellow's name is? Gumbled the hotel keeper, and he gazed reverently downwards. We call him the vampire. An artist? Fair trade, sketches any corpses. Just as soon as someone in Constantinople or here in the neighbourhood dies, the very day is a picture of the dead, one completed. The yellow paints them beforehand. The fellow paints them beforehand. He never makes a state. Just like a vulture, the old Polish woman shrieked frightenedly. In her arms lay a daughter pale as chalk. She had fainted. In one bound, the lover had leaped down the stairs. With one hand, he seized the Greek. With the other, reached for the portfolio. We ran down after him. Both men were rolling in the sand. The contents of the portfolio were scattered all about. On one sheet, sketched with a crown, was the head of a young Polish girl, her eyes closed, a wreath of myrtle on her brow.